We are down to 32 teams in the NCAA tournament as we are set to begin the second round here today and tomorrow as well. The Big East, out of their four teams, two are currently left standing, and those were the top two teams in the preseason poll and in the regular season standings. I'll recap how those four games went for all four Big East teams in the first round this past weekend and get you set up for the round of 32 and beyond. And I'll also talk about some other major headlines throughout this NCAA tournament here on this brand new episode of the Igloo March style. What's going on, guys? It's, it's good to be back. You know, I'll tell you what, man. These last few days have been pretty interesting. You know, the really funny thing is, I started 4 for 4. Like, you know, if y'all heard at the end of the March Madness preview episode, you know, we made picks for the first four. I went 4 for 4. And you know what? After that, I was like, you know what? I, I, I feel really good. I feel really good about my bracket now. I could not have been more wrong. And... You know, as I look at where I'm ranked nationally, it's not good. I'm only in like the 46th percentile. And I only got just over 50% of my picks right. Shockingly, I got the entire West region right. And then I only got the other, out of the other three regions, I got nine. 9 out of 24, that's 37.5% correct. Actually, no, 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 I, no, I got 20 right, 20, that's my fault. So I got 20 right on that. Um, so, yeah, let's just talk about what's what's happened. So, Friday, the first Big East team in action, and there was only one team, and it it was Villanova, the regular season champs in the Big East, taking on 12th seed Winthrop in a game where I really didn't think Villanova would have a shot. Boy, was I wrong. Villanova got off to a great start. They led 16-6 early on. Winthrop would capitalize, you know, they would rebound pretty strongly early, you know, bouncing back from that early deficit. And, you know, they made it a ball game. You know, taking a look at, you know, where this was. Again, Villanova was up double digits in the early goings. And then Winthrop, you know, they clawed their way back. It was a one-point game at the break. And then Villanova, you know, once they took... That 34-33 lead going into the locker room, you know, that was that. So Winthrop, you know, they took the lead on a three by Charles Falden with about a minute and a half to go in the first half. Villanova got back in front on a three with 10 seconds left in the half by Cole Swider. That made it a one-point game, and then Villanova, they would not trail again in this game, pulling away to a 73-63 win, and... No surprise here. Jeremiah Robinson Earl led the way. 
22 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists, his 6th double-double of the season, 7 for 15 from the floor. Other major stars, Justin Moore making his return to the starting lineup. 37 minutes, 15 points, 5 for 13 from the field, 2 of 7 from distance. Jermaine Samuels, 11 points, 4 for 9 from the floor, 7 rebounds in 35 minutes. Caleb Daniels knocked down a pair of 3-pointers, went 3 for 8 from the floor, finished with 10 points. Colt Swider knocked down two huge three-pointers, like I mentioned, the three that put Villanova ahead for good towards the end of the first half. But the breakout game off the bench was from Brian Antoine. The seldom-used Brian Antoine from Tinton Falls, New Jersey. Perfect from, perfect from the field. He made both of his attempts, both from three-point land, and finished with eight points on the day, two rebounds as well in 19 minutes. Overall, as a team, Villanova, 44% from the floor, 32% from three. Brandon Slater also had one point. They held Winthrop to 36% from the floor, 31.8% from behind the arc. And it was a balanced effort for Winthrop. DJ Burns led the way with 12 points, but he did foul out in 19 minutes as he did battle foul trouble. 10 points off the bench for Arms. Adonis Arms, uh, the junior. And then it was a well-balanced effort from the rest of the starting lineup. Vaudrin with 9. Falden with 9. 8 from Zunik. And from Anumba, he had 7. Off the bench, Claxton with 5. Jones with 3. As Villanova, they win by 10. 73-63. They're out of the round of 32. They have not lost in the first round since 2013. So, with a major upset in the matchup below them, the Wildcats will meet 13th-seeded North Texas, the Mean Green, in the round of 32 today. And that is going to be a really interesting matchup. I'll preview that later on in the show. And then, yesterday... Pretty good slate of games. It started with Georgetown coming off that red-hot... Big East tournament run that got him in the NCAA tournament. And honestly, what we saw was just a matter of Georgetown using basically all of their energy on winning the Big East tournament and running out of it in the NCAA tournament. You know, it started off neck and neck early. And then Colorado, man, they just got hot from three. At Georgetown, they just didn't have an answer for it. You know, Colorado, once they got the lead to double digits, they they kept it at double digits. But I will say, though, in the first half, Jabari Walker committed a foul, a hard foul on Timothy Igohefe. Um, he pulled Igohefe down by the shoulders without making a play on the ball, and the refs only called that a flagrant one. Like, I'm just going to, you know, sorry for the language now and for actually speaking the truth, but that was a bullshit call. No play on the ball. Malicious intent. And there was potential with that kind of play that, thankfully, Ego Hefe didn't get hurt, but the potential was there for him to get hurt. And yet they still only called it a flagrant one. And 
at that point, Jabari Walker was Colorado's best player on the floor, arguably. And because he got to stay in the game, of, of course, lo and behold, he has the big game. 24 points. Off the bench, by the way. 9 for 10 from the field. 5 for 5 from behind the arc. And, you know, this game just got away from Georgetown early, and it got ugly. Matter of fact, you know, after a free throw by Jamarco Pickett made it 25-15, Colorado closed the half on a 22-8 run. You know, like, you know, the you just saw the lead just continue to balloon out of control. You know, they made, you know, several threes in a row. Deshaun Schwartz got red hot to end the half. You know, he made three consecutive threes that turned it from a 17-point game, which is quite a bit, to 26. And at the half, it was 47-23 in Georgetown. They just would not recover. Colorado would get the lead as high as 32. And they shot 64% from behind the arc. It was never really close. Colorado wins it 96-73, sending the Hoyas home. Deshaun Schwartz, he had 18 points. Again, that, that stretch where he made three straight threes was incredible at the end of the first half. Five for seven from three, six for eight from the field. McKinley Wright played a very well-balanced game. 12 points, 13, reba- uh, 13 assists, rather, and five rebounds. Four for eight from the floor, one of two from three. Walton, nine points, three for four from the field, one for one from behind the arc. Eli Parquet, 10 points, 2 for 3 from 3, 3 for 4 from the field. And Batty, Evan Batty, that is, 6 points, 3 rebounds in 24 minutes. And then other notable scores, Horn with 2, Clifford knocked down a 3 in garbage time, O'Brien with 4 in 2 minutes, Daniels with 2 points, and then in 12 minutes, Bartholomew with 6 points and 4 assists in just 12 minutes. And again, the Buffs, 60.7% from the field, 64% from behind the arc. Meanwhile, Georgetown, they did not shoot the ball well. 39.7% from the field, 33.3% from 3. Leading scorer was Kudus Wahab, 24 minutes, 20 points, and 12 rebounds on 7 of 12 shooting. Donald Carey came to play in this game, 17 points, 25 minutes, 2 for 3 from 3, 3 for 4 from the field. Jamarco Pickett, 11 points, but he was just 3 for 13 from the field, 1 for 4 from 3, but he did have a career high, 6 assists in this one. Chudier Belay, 10 points, 2 boards, 4 for 8 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3, and just a rough game from the freshman Dante Harris. You know, the Big East Tournament most outstanding player. Seven points on just three of 12 shooting. One for six from behind the arc. And a rough game for the leading scorer for the Hoyas, Javon Blair. 28 minutes, 
just five points, two for six from the field, one for three from behind the arc. TJ Berger knocked down a three, and then uh, Timothy Ego Hefe, you know, he went 0 for 2 from the charity stripe after that flagrant one foul on Walker. But like I said, Walker should have been ejected right there for that foul on Ego Hefe. But obviously, this game went a completely different way. Colorado, they blow out the Hoyas 96 73, and they send the Hoyas packing. In a wild game at Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, So, by the way, you know, Villanova, they won at Indiana Farmers Coliseum. Georgetown lost at Hinkle. Uh, So, for Creighton, they're at Lucas Oil Stadium. And this was a heck of a game, man. UC Santa Barbara started off well. They led 16-8. That led to a Creighton timeout. And Creighton, you know, they really recollected themselves well And, you know, they got on a big run to take a 34-30 lead at the break. But UC Santa Barbara, you know, and Creighton led by 10 after Mitch Ballack got a three-point play to go with 13-32 to go in the second half. But UC Santa Barbara, they just responded. They would not go away. They eventually took the lead 50-49 on Ja'Cory McLaughlin jumper. And, you know, throughout this game, you could see why Sean Paul pick them to pull off a 12-5 upset here in this matchup. And they led by six with 540 to go, 58-52. But Creighton, they went on a 7-0 run to take the lead. And it was back and forth from there. And with all the pressure in the world on him, Christian Bishop, who was not a great free throw shooter, and Creighton, who, by the way, is in the bottom 30 in the nation in terms of free throw shooting, Christian Bishop comes up with two huge free throws. And they also get a big stop on the other end to put the game away as Creighton escapes 63-62 of narrowly avoiding the upset against the Gauchos. 17 points for Marcus Zigorowski to lead the way. He was brilliant in the first half that really got the offense going when they got down early. 7 for 11 from the field, 3 for 6 from 3. Denzel Mahoney, after he was shut down pretty much the whole time in the Big East Tournament, 13 points, 3 for 9 from 3, 5 for 14 from the field, needed him in double figures in order to win this game. And again, Christian Bishop was the hero. 6 for 8 from the field, 15 points, 11 rebounds, 3 for 5 from the free throw line, but he made those two big free throws when it mattered most. DJ, uh, DJ, Damian Jefferson, 4 for 11, 8 points, 3 rebounds, 3 assists, but he did go 0 for 3. From three. And Zigorowski, by the way, eight assists. Mitch Ballack, eight points, seven boards, four assists. Three for ten from the field, with just one for seven from behind the arc. And then Sharif Mitchell was the only Blue Jay to score off the bench. Just two points in 16 minutes. Meanwhile, so Creighton shot 44.8% from the field, just 28% from three. Meanwhile, for UC Santa Barbara, 38.6% from the field, 23.8% from three. It was Miles Norris and Ja'Cory McLaughlin who would lead the way for the Gauchos, each with 13 points. Sal with 12, 11 points for Ramsey. Four points for the former DePaul Blue Demon, Brandon Cyrus. And then off the bench, Idahan with three, 
Barnes with two, Sonny with four. But the Blue Jays, they escape another round of 30, round of 64 win uh, for Greg McDermott. He's back to the round of 32 after losing in the first round in 17 and 18, their last two official tournament appearances. We all know they were going to make the tournament last year. So the Blue Jays, thanks to a major upset as Ohio took down the defending I mean, not really defending, but, you know, you get the point. The last national champion, Virginia. They, the 13th seed Bobcats, they take down UVA. And the Blue Jays will meet the Bobcats in the round of 32, which should be an interesting matchup. As they take on one of the best mid-major players in the country, Jason Preston. If not the best mid-major player in the country. And then, at Mackey Arena in West Lafayette, the 7th seed of UConn Huskies taking on 10th seed of Maryland. I just thought this was a no-brainer UConn was going to win. But Maryland, they came ready to play. And they had the plan to shut down James Booknight and the rest of the Huskies. So the Terps, they win it on defense. They take UConn out of the tournament. There was a lot of hype surrounding the Huskies heading into the tournament. But the Huskies just do not live up to the hype. Maryland, they just seemed more prepared for this game. So the Terps, they beat UConn 63-54. And the guy who led the way, Eric Ayala, 8 for 14 from the field, 3 for 5 from 3, 23 points, which was a game high. The Terps shot over 50% from the field and even 50% from 3. They were 51.2% on the game, 50%, 9 for 18 from beyond the arc. Aaron Wiggins with 14, Dante Scott with 12, Daryl Morsell with just 7 points, and Hakeem Hart with 6 only one point from the bench, and that came on a free throw from Galen Smith. But for UConn, they just could not make shots. And UConn, I mean, when you win the rebounding battle, the, like like the way they did, forty to twenty nine, you would think like you know you got to capitalize, but they didn't. Booknight played all forty minutes. Only scored 15 points, 6 for 16 from the field, 1 of 6 from 3. Jalen Gaffney was the only other Husky in double figures in 20 minutes off the bench, 4 for 6 from the field, 1 for 2 from 3, 12 points off the bench for the backup point guard. Adama Sanogo, who was all Big East tournament team last, last week, 4 points, 4 rebounds, 2 for 7 from the field, 16 minutes. Isaiah Whaley, just six points on three for eight shooting, 35 minutes played. Tyrese Martin was terrible. One for 10 from the field, two points, 11 rebounds. RJ Cole got all nine of his points from three, three for seven for three, just three for 12 from the floor, six boards, three assists. And then Tyler Polly, he did provide a bit of a spark for the Huskies. 20 minutes, went two for five. All the shots coming from three, finished with six points. But the Huskies, 
the big thing is they just could not capitalize on second chance points. They got a lot of offensive rebounds. They got 22 offensive rebounds in this game. They got 22. 22 offensive rebounds, and they could not turn that into second chance points. In terms of the offensive rebounds, UConn had the edge 22 to 4. 22 to 4. If you're Danny Hurley, you got to be asking yourself, like, how the hell do we get 22 offensive rebounds? And fail to come up with second chance points. It's a head scratcher. You, you, you just cannot get 22 offensive rebounds. And only come up with 11 second chance points. Maryland, with their four offensive rebounds, they got five second-chance points. Had they gotten that many offensive rebounds, you know, based on Maryland's rate, if they had done the same rate, they would have had nearly 30 Second chance points. It's little things like that that will kill you and force an early exit from the tournament. So UConn, sure as hell, a disappointing end to the season. They get bounced out of the round of 64 for the first time since 2012. That was that year they were a ninth seed and lost to eighth seeded Iowa State. So if you're a UConn fan, I mean, yes, there's things to look forward to in the future, especially if Book Knight decides to come back, which seems like a bit of a long shot for now, but this has to leave a bad taste in your mouth. Knowing that you have all this potential and you waste it against Maryland. And you score 54 points. And you want to talk about a disappointing postseason stretch? UConn 1-2. and two, Their only win was against DePaul. And, you know, Jerry Carino pointed this out and Zach Braziller seconded it. That doesn't count. Beating DePaul doesn't count for anything in the postseason. You lose to Creighton in a three-point game in a, in a game where you started off up 13-2. to two. And then you lose to Maryland who is the eighth best team in what we now know is an overrated Big Ten. And that's who you lose to in the first round? Major missed opportunity for UConn because I really believe that they could have matched up well with Alabama, but instead Maryland now gets that opportunity. And we Maryland is obviously not equipped to beat a team like Alabama. 
Sure, they may have won against UConn, but they do not have the ability to beat a team as explosive offensively as the Crimson Tide. But then again, you know, we saw Iona shut them down, hold them to just 68 points. So maybe there's hope for for the Terps. Maybe there is. Again, you know, I'm not I'm not really one to really speculate on that, but you know, SVP, I, I don't know if you're going to be listening to this. It's doubtful that you are, but if I'm doubting your Terps, I apologize for it now, but it's just really hard to see them beating Alabama. I'm sorry for doubting them against UConn. I think a lot of people did that. I think they were probably amongst seven seeds, probably the one that was most heavily favored, the Huskies were. But yet, there they go. Sent home early. So, again, Big East first round, 2-2 two and two is not bad. 2-2 two and two is not bad. You know, Georgetown losing... I, I think a lot of people should have expected it. I mean, the fact that they even made the tournament is an accomplishment in itself. UConn stings losing in the first round. Because that was the game everybody knew they could and should win. But they let it get away. Because they made, they made a lot of simple mistakes. Like not capitalizing on offensive rebounds. Struggling to shoot the basketball. And, you know, literally, you know, it could take one bad night to end your season, and that's just what happened with UConn. There's nothing else I could say other than that. But you still have your top two teams still in the tournament. Creighton gets Ohio. Villanova gets North Texas. That has to be a very, very favorable draw. Uh, So before I touch on previewing those games... The other major major headlines, the big upset of the tournament so far, and Sean Paul called this on my show, and he even called this over a week before this game was played on Twitter, saying that if Oral Roberts got a 15 seed and Ohio State got a 2 seed, he would 1 million percent take Oral Roberts. And lo and behold, his prophecy came true. Oral Roberts takes down Ohio State. 75-72 in overtime. So the Eagles, they are on to the round of 32 where they will take on 7th seeded Florida this afternoon. Uh, Actually, it's going to be tonight, I should say. Other major headlines, you know, I I touched on it a little while ago. Ohio takes down the defending national champs UVA. 62-58. Uh, Some other notable headlines. We would hope... We were hoping that COVID would not affect the tournament, but lo and behold, it did. Last night, VCU was set to take on Oregon, but there were multiple positive tests within VCU's program that caused this game to be declared a no contest. And Oregon, by default, is on to the round of 32, and that's part of a 6-0 first few days for the Pac-12. UCLA with a pair of wins, 
beating Michigan State in comeback fashion in the first four, and then beating BYU in the round of 64. USC, they won their game in the first round, beating Drake. Oregon State, the Pac-12 tournament champs, they beat fifth-seeded Tennessee handily. The Beavers, that was their first tournament win in nearly 40 years. And then, of course, we Colorado, they're on to the round of 32 after that emphatic win over Georgetown. Now, the Big Ten has pretty much been a flop. Nine Big Ten teams made the tournament. And so far, as I'm counting it up now, you got well. You got, you still got six teams left standing, but early on, you know there were a lot of disappointing Big Ten losses early in the tournament. Obviously, the biggest one being Ohio State losing to Oral Roberts. Other notable Big Ten exits. Um, in the tournament, Michigan State, they lost in the first four to UCLA, a game in which they led by 14, and it was marred by a little bit of controversy uh, as uh, Tom Izzo got into an altercation uh, with one of his players, Gabe Brown, and it was really heated heading into the locker room, heading into the half. And, you know, I think that ended up bringing Michigan State down quite a bit. And UCLA, again, they came back and won in overtime 86-80. to So the other Big Ten teams that have, uh, the only other Big Ten team that left er- left the tournament early. I don't know why I'm having a tough time finding them. So Michigan State was the first. Ohio State was the second. And I don't know why I'm not finding it here. So let's see. The Big Ten, so the teams they have advancing so far, Iowa, Michigan, Maryland, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Rutgers. I'm pretty sure, yeah, Big Ten definitely sent nine teams to the tournament. I I know they did. Oh, and and Purdue. Purdue lost as a four seed, losing to 13th seed North Texas in their home state. They were the only team from the state of Indiana in the tournament. And they lose in the round of 64 to the Mean Green in North Texas. So, obviously, those two losses have really stained the Big Ten and their tournament hopes so far. But, I mean, the fact that the fact of the matter is, they're still six and three in the tournament. They have six teams in the round of 32. And also, I mean, some other notable headlines. Obviously, the biggest upset was Oral Roberts, 15th seed over 2nd seed Ohio State. But how about last night, late, the 14th seed from Abilene Christian, which has only been a Division I program for eight years. They get their first tournament win, upsetting the biggest name program in their home state, the University of Texas, the Big 12 tournament champs. The Wildcats stun the Longhorns 53-52. to They win it at the free throw line as well. I know there's a lot of, you know, been a lot of flack like, oh, they shouldn't have called it. You know, it's that late of a game. Why, why, why make that call? Because it was an obvious foul. Brian O'Connell, a Big East ref, by mind you, had the right call the whole time. 
Abilene Christian, that, that was another big upset as a 14 seed. And then 13 seeds, Ohio, like I mentioned, and North Texas. They are on to the round of 32 as 13 seeds. And then the 12 fives, only one 12 seed one, and that was Oregon State. And then, and how about this? Based on, because of what happened last night, we got a 14 versus 11 matchup in round two. Abilene Christian taking on UCLA, which guarantees that for the 13th consecutive tournament, there will be a double-digit seed in the Sweet 16. So if, if I'm missing any other headlines, let me know. I, I mean, if we're talking about surprising upsets, a lot of people pegged North Carolina to beat Wisconsin. But Wisconsin went out there and dismantled the Tar Heels. 85-62 was the final. By the way, Marquette beat both teams. Just saying. I'm just saying. And that was the first time that Roy Williams as a head coach has lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Before this year, he was 29-0. Well, now it's 29-1. Carolina gets pack, gets sent packing. And honestly, speaking of, the ACC has been a disappointment for the most part. Virginia, who is your regular season champ, knocked out in the first round. North Carolina, knocked out in the first round. Virginia Tech, knocked out in the first round. Georgia Tech, ACC tournament champs, knocked out in the first round. Clemson, knocked out in the first round. As it stands, just two ACC teams are left standing. Florida State and Syracuse. And Syracuse whooped San Diego State by 16, led by a monstrous 30 points from Buddy Bayheim. So they're on to the round of 32, and I, it's a big deal around here. You know, I'm only an hour away from Syracuse. I'm in the middle of Cuse country, and they have a big game later on today against a former Big East rival of theirs, West Virginia. Which, that was what I had in the round of 32 in, in my bracket. I have West Virginia winning, but do not be surprised if Syracuse pulls off an upset. Now, if I were to make some picks moving on to the round of 32 and, you know, onto the Sweet 16... Uh, before I touch on the Big East games, I think Gonzaga will throttle Oklahoma to nobody's surprise. USC, I got upsetting Kansas onto the Sweet 16. Oregon coming off that quote-unquote forfeit win over VCU. I just don't think they'll have enough to beat Iowa. Michigan, well, I think they'll barely get by LSU. I like Colorado upsetting Florida State in this game. So give me the buffs in the Sweet 16. Which, that hasn't happened in forever. UCLA will go to the Sweet 16 as well, beating Abilene Christian. I like Bama beating Maryland. Uh, Baylor, I think they're going to win an awfully tight game against Wisconsin. I think we all saw on fr on Friday night, the Wisconsin team that everyone was expecting heading into the season. So, Wisconsin's going to put up a hell of a fight against Baylor. 
but Baylor will escape. Texas Tech, Arkansas, I think that's going to be another tight one, but I think Arkansas will escape with a win. Oral Roberts, Florida. Oral Roberts is going to make this a hell of a game. I'll tell you what, but I just, I don't know, man. I think a lot of energy went into beating Ohio State. I don't know how much they're going to have left in the tank going up against Florida. So I think Florida is going to end up winning, which will set up an all-SEC Sweet 16 matchup with Arkansas. Now, I like Illinois beating Loyola Chicago. I'm going to go with an upset here. I'm picking Oregon State over Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, they they were rough against Liberty. I mean, credit to Liberty. Liberty is a hell of a team. You know, they have the second most wins in Division One behind Gonzaga the last three years, I believe. You know, this was a that was a 30-win team a year ago. They were 30-4 and four going to the NCAA tournament. I, as much as, you know, being a Central New Yorker, it would be great to see Syracuse back in the Sweet 16. I got West Virginia barely getting by SU. And then I think Houston will take care of business against Rutgers. Uh, so Houston will go back to the Sweet 16 for the second time in three years. Uh, so uh, rounding out my other... Uh, as we transition to Big East picks, North Texas Villanova, Villanova the key. It's you got to stick to what worked on Friday, and that was going through your go-to guy Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Now that Colin Gillespie is unavailable because of that unfortunate injury, that torn MCL. Obviously, Robinson Earl. Has to be the man. He's been the man. The last three games without him. Granted, they lost two of them to Providence and Georgetown, but that was a very good Winthrop team that they beat. Not only did they win, they won by double digits. You know, Villanova, I don't know. They just have this DNA with them to win in the NCAA tournament. Again, they haven't lost in the first round since 2013. And when it comes to North Texas, they have a lot of experience. A lot of veterans on this team. And that can serve them well here in this game. But for some reason, I don't know. I just really like Nova. Uh, But it's going to be a grinded out type game. I got Nova winning, but it's going to be really close. Really, really close. It might go down to the last shot. And then finally, on Monday... Ohio taking on Creighton. Now, in my normal bracket, I pick Creighton to beat Ohio. But after watching Ohio play Virginia and how Creighton struggled against UC Santa Barbara, I'm skeptical because I really like the makeup of this Ohio team. You know, they're more than just Jason Preston. Preston is an incredible talent in himself. I think he had like 11 points. 13 rebounds, 7 assists, I believe, was his stat line against the defending national champs. And again, Creighton, they haven't made the Sweet 16 in 47 years. My gut's telling me Ohio. Because last time we saw Ohio in the tournament, they were a 13 seed. And they ended up going to the Sweet 16. Granted, you know, after they beat four seed Michigan they got lucky and got a 12 seed in the second round which was South Florida 
who was then in the Big East, for those of you that might not remember that or may not even believe that to be true, yes, they were a Big East team, as disgusting as that may sound. But I think the best player on the floor tomorrow will be Jason Preston. And oftentimes when a team has the best player on the court, oftentimes they win. So I'm going to go with Ohio beating Creighton to move on to the Sweet 16. But then again, hey, I might be wrong here. But for Creighton, I mean, they got to erase 47 years worth of demons. Especially demons from last year, knowing that they were going to be, at bare minimum, a top three seed in the NCAA tournament. They were a two seed heading into the final week before Selection Sunday, you know, going into the Big East tournament. They were the number one seed in the Big East tournament and projected to be a two seed in the NCAAs. But without Marcus Zikorowski, who knows what, what, what could have happened. I mean, obviously my simulation had them going to the Sweet 16, breaking that 40, at the time, 46-year drought. But again, we'll never know. But... I don't know, just some tell me, and I'm, I'm probably going to get a lot of crap from this from Creighton fans. I'm just going with Ohio. I, 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 I'm, just, I'm just really big on the whole Jason Preston bandwagon. And it's not a knock to Creighton. It really isn't. I, it's just a matter of who's got the best player on the court. I know Creighton fans will make a case for Marcus Zikorowski being better than Jason Preston, but in terms of his all-around game, Jason Preston is just that Swiss Army knife who does everything that will help his team to a victory. I really believe that. So, obviously there's also been some news off the court. And, and, you know, before I say this, I think it's awfully funny that both the Hauser brothers, Joey and Sam, left Marquette after 2019. And heading into the 2020 season, had they stayed... There was no doubt Marquette was going to be a consensus top five team in the country. With those two guys, Marcus Howard, basically your entire starting five coming back. But losing those two obviously killed any and all national te- national championship hopes that they had. Yes, they still have Marcus Howard, who obviously is the greatest scorer in Marquette history. But the Hauser brothers, they moved on. Joey to Michigan State, Sam to Virginia, and I think it's awfully funny that both of those guys lost in their first tournament games since leaving Marquette. Joey at Michigan State losing to UCLA, Sam at Virginia losing to Ohio. And for Sam, I know he's got the extra year of eligibility because of this COVID year. Will he use it or not? I don't know, but I feel like if you're a Marquette fan, you just got to be smiling because this is karma. From their perspective, I'm not saying it, it it's concrete karma, but if you're a Marquette fan, you're like, you know, that's the price you pay for leaving Marquette and possibly leaving a national championship contender heading into that 2020 season. But Marquette, obviously, they're in the headlines still. And the reason why is because after seven seasons, Marquette has parted ways with Steve Wojciechowski. And 
I don't know how much truth there is to it. I mean, I've been hearing this this rumor run rampant. I still want to know if it's true or not. Because, I mean, to me, it seems too good to be true. And the, I think the correct wording would, to describe it would be unbelievable. But the rumor is that it was a donor from Marquette who bought Wojo out and forced him out. That's the rumor. Again, I don't know how much truth there is to it, but if that's true, whoa. And by the way, uh, I'll, I'll also cite this. Alan Bukowski and you know several others uh, from Anonymous Eagle, Paint Touches and Crack Sidewalks, they, they wrote a really tremendous piece uh, explaining from a statistical standpoint why it was time for Marquette to move on from Mojo. And that prophecy, I guess, you know, was realized over the weekend when Marquette fired him. Was I surprised? A little. I mean, I'm, I wasn't saying, like, you know, I was stunned and my it was jaw-dropping, but... You know, based on his performance, I mean, listen, he's been there seven years. He's only been to the tournament twice. He probably would have gone last year for the third time. But still, what actually is counted? Two tournament appearances. Zero NCAA tournament wins. And and if you're looking at the overall body of work, And especially this year, I mean, he had an underwhelming season. I mean, this team was picked to finish sixth in the Big East preseason poll. They had the preseason freshman of the year in Dawson Garcia. And they got several big wins early in the year. They beat Wisconsin at home. They won at Creighton. They beat North Carolina in Chapel Hill in February. But yet, they just couldn't string it together. And I think the final nail in the coffin was the fact that they got their butts handed to them in the garden at the Big East Tournament last week by Georgetown. If you're Marquette, and you know... Marquette was obviously a better team than Georgetown. They sure as hell didn't play like it in New York. Because they got smoked by Georgetown. And granted, that was a Georgetown team that was on a mission. But still... You got to put up a better fight than that. So where does this leave Marquette? I don't really know. Because right now, a lot of several of the coaches that they're eyeing still have their teams in the NCAA tournament. And the one I'm immediately thinking of, Porter Mosier from Loyola, Chicago. I mean, he led his team to the Final Four, for crying out loud, people, as an 11 seed. And that was their first Final Four at the time in 55 years. That was a long-ass time. And Marquette, they haven't won a tournament game since 2013, people. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Wojo's Big East record. You know, in seven years, in 127 conference games, 127 games in seven years, 
He has a losing record. He has a losing record. His record in Big E's play. I believe it's only 59, 59 and 68. I mean, the first year, I mean, it was expected that his team was going to struggle. I mean, they went four and 14 in conference. I mean, that's a transitional year. I mean, those results are going to happen naturally, but I mean, just look at some of the talent that he's brought in. I mean, in 2016, he had Henry Ellenson. McDonald's All-American, eventual first-round pick in the NBA draft. They had a losing record in conference. They went 8-10. and 10. They, they lost to Belmont at home. They got crushed by Iowa at home. They lost to DePaul at home. Yeah, they won 20 games, but still they still had a losing conference record. They were 8-10. and 10. So, yeah. 59 and 68 in Biggie's play over the last seven years, which is to me horrendous. Their best year was 2019 when they went 12 and 6, but you also have to look at the fact that, yes, they finished second in the conference, but they easily could have finished first had they just taken care of business in the last four games of the season because they were 12 and 2 in conference. They were a game and a half up on Villanova, and had they won at Villanova, In that game where that's where their records were at, 12 and 2 versus 11 and 4, Marquette would have won the Big East regular season title outright that night. But they didn't. And they ended up losing four in a row. They won one game in the Big East tournament, lost to Seton Hall, and then got whacked by John Morant and Murray State in the NCAA tournament. And then last year, they were 17 and 7. Actually, no, they were 17 and 6. With seven games to go. They lost six of seven. To go from looking like they were safely in the tournament. To being on the bubble. Heading into the Big East tournament. That never happened. And then of course this year. They finished ninth. Ninth. After being projected to finish sixth. I mean. And again. They had all of this potential. You know. Beating Wisconsin. Winning at Creighton in North Carolina. But. Again, it, it was just a letdown. I mean, yes, they finished the season pretty well down the stretch in the regular season, but again, that disappointing loss to Georgetown, I guess it just really left a bad taste in the administration's mouth, and that was the final straw. They had to move on. I'm not saying it was a short-sighted move, but I understood it. At that point, like you just got to move on. And speaking of moving on, DePaul decided that they need to move on from their head coach as well. And to be honest, it was a long time coming for Dave Leto. Um, Again, this is his second stint as the head coach of the Blue Demons. And in six seasons, he had a losing record in all but one season. And that was in 2019. In 2020, they finished 500. They were 15 and 16 in the regular season, won a Big East tournament game against Xavier, and then never got to play the rest. 
This year, they were absolutely awful. 5-14 and 14 overall. In the regular season, they won two Big East games. Both were on the road. And they became the first team in Big East play, in, in the new Big East to go winless at home in conference play. There have been several that have gone winless on the road. Actually, only, a, only two have gone winless on the road. 2016 St. John's, 2020 DePaul. But 2021 DePaul became the first to go winless at home in conference play. And that's the kind of history you don't want to be making. And his best season in terms of his conference record... Seven and eleven. So, in six seasons as the head coach at DePaul, he coached in a hundred and five Big East games. You know how many he won? Like you're going to be shocked when I tell you. He won twenty one. He won 21 of 105 Big East Conference games as head coach at DePaul. That's a win percentage of 200. That's barely over the Mendoza line. If we're talking about a baseball perspective, you know, the Mendoza lines, you know, if you're hitting below the Mendoza line, you're hitting under 200. But 200 winning percentage on the dot in conference play in six years 21 and 84. I mean, his only glimmering light was the fact that he has two Big East tournament wins. Last year against Xavier and this year against Providence. As the bottom seat, strangely enough. But, obviously, this had to be the move DePaul had to make in order to move on. And get the program moving in the direction that it wants to go in. I mean, DePaul's brought in a lot of really, really good talent. I mean, Charlie Moore was a very good player that they managed to bring in Romeo Weems could be a potential NBA draft pick if he continues to develop properly and their recruiting classes down the line are really good too they have a potential to go back to the tournament with that kind of talent for the first time since 2004 but yet here they are the laughing stock of the conference and they've only made you know, since 2010, one postseason appearance. In 2019, and they played in the CBI. Which is the the third best tournament in the postseason in, in college basketball. You got the NCAAs, the NIT, and then you got the CBI. So, obviously, DePaul had to make this move. They had to. Their hands were tied. The only way to move forward was by letting go of Dave Lado. And it's crazy that I actually got to be the last reporter to ask Lato a question um, while he was still the head coach of the Blue Demons. So DePaul says goodbye to Dave Lato and their head coaching search is going to continue. There have been several names who have been thrown in the loop, but obviously I'm not one to speculate. So... It's going to be up to pretty much all of you to decide who should be the head coach at DePaul. But eventually, DePaul and Marquette, for that matter, they will make their decisions on who will be their head coach. I'm hoping that they'll act soon, but uh, chances are probably sometime next month they'll probably announce who their new head coach will be at both schools. So 
that's a wrap on this episode of the Igloo. Thank you for tuning in again. Uh, again, make sure to keep watching the tournament. Again, Villanova's on tonight against North Texas. Creighton on tomorrow night against Ohio. And I'll have a new episode uh, talking about that second round action. Hopefully both teams, or at least one of these teams, will still be standing after the after the next couple days and will be competing in the Sweet 16 next weekend. Uh, so until next time, this is Timmy Ice signing off from the Igloo. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and I will catch you all next time. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Enjoy these second round games today and tomorrow. And again, I'll be, I'll be around uh, with a new episode either Tuesday or Wednesday, so be on the lookout for that. Take it easy, y'all.